Hello, and welcome to the Attributive Security Podcast, where we discuss and share ideas around perennial, topical, and emerging information security issues. Keep listening for insights into how to protect and enable what matters most to your stakeholders. My name is Martin, and today I'm joined, as usual, by Maurice, and we'll be discussing compliance. Maurice, uh, thinking about compliance reminds me of the design off at COSAC in, in 2018. I'm sure you remember that, uh, where I you do. played the part of a compliance officer. And I'm, I'm sure we'll revisit uh, many of the themes that arose during that day. Uh, you played the part pretty well. Do you want to start us off by outlining to us your character's view of compliance and security? Sure. Um, if you can remember that far back. It was obviously fictional, but it was, I, I guess, stereotypical compliance officer. Okay, so yeah, because um, my targets were set on making sure that the organization was compliant um, to whatever. I mean, that was top priority for me. Um, I had to make sure that everybody was was able to tick the boxes of any standard that I would come up with for this organization. So uh, I couldn't care less about the risk assessment because that took too long to come up with the conclusion that certain controls wouldn't have to be implemented and therefore the boxes couldn't be ticked and therefore we wouldn't be compliant in this fictional case and therefore I said I don't care about that we need to be compliant don't do a risk assessment just implement those controls. I mean clearly your your personal goals your drivers in that role were around ticking those boxes you know yes. your targets were to tick the box. Yes, yes. And I have to say that the role I played there is, like you said, fictional, but it came from the the multiple experiences I had. So my role that I just played there was a mix of other people that I met during my career. I can't say that all compliance officers are only focusing on ticking the boxes i mean there are compliance officers who say uh, let's do a risk assessment let's let's have a different angle on this but i also came across people who just blindly follow a spreadsheet and whatever you say they're not listening just tell so, me can i tick the box yeah so at the same time i was obviously pushing back on you from my position i think i was CISO actually so I was looking at the security yes, angles. We got a bit into, I guess, talking about you can be compliant but not secure. What, I think from far, the role far, far less common, you can be secure but not compliant. Yeah, well, hold on. If we go back to the role that I was playing then, you can't be, that's like not possible, right? You can be compliant and not secure. Listen, those standards have been written to help you become secure. So tick the boxes and you're done. But whose interests are those standards looking out for? So you look at something like PCI. Right. The PCI Council was founded by Amex, Visa, MasterCard. They're presumably looking out for their interests. There's a lot of different parties involved in, in card processing. You've got the card schemes, you've got the issuers, you've got the acquirers, you've got the merchant, you've got the, the cardholder. Take, for example, you're the merchant. Is that really actually looking to to your interest, to your security requirements, or is it somebody else's requirements? It's it's theirs, and it's your requirement because you can lose your license if you if you don't prove that you're compliant. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We talked about, I think, in the, the previous episode about, you know, not being in business to be compliant. But if compliance is a requirement for your license to, to operate in a, in a market or, a, or an industry, then obviously it's, it's very important to you and you do need to maintain that compliance. But I, the point I was making, I think, is the compliance is a, is a standard that's, that's set by somebody else, be it a, a regulator or, or a government. And they're looking out for for their interests, not not necessarily for your interests. So, right. Yes, in in that regard of being able to continue to operate in that industry in that market is vital to your business. It's not it's not necessarily aligned to your security requirements. How so? I mean, a government who comes up with a standard or some regulations or a body uh, like PCI DSS. Didn't they come up with those requirements, those statements in there on the basis of the risks that you're exposed to when you're processing that kind of partly, but but you know, going 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 back to the, the PCI case, is is it is it your risk as a merchant or is it the, the scheme's risk? You know, they're looking out for their risk. Right. Um, yes, they're looking out for a working scheme across the industry. There is there is a bigger picture there. But often you find that the standards are actually quite a, a low bar because it's got to apply to everyone. So it's it's more of a baseline than a higher level. Generally, it's quite a low bar, um, a lot of these standards. You tend to find you've got a, a one-size-fits-all approach as well. You sometimes get a couple of different profiles, but it, it's not really going to be tailored to what you're doing. It's very, I guess it's very rules-based as well. They tend to tend to be more prescriptive. So they're talking about, you know, what it is you need to do rather than looking at principles, which is also also makes it very fragile. And you find that the standards tend not to get updated all that often. Quite often mean, they're actually the, predictable mean, when they... You mean the standard, the list of controls that need to be implemented? Yeah. So you look at something like PCI again. I, I'm talking about PCI a lot. Uh, I think the last standard was, was 2018. Are you really saying that you're security landscape your threat landscape hasn't changed in two years i don't know because if you look at the OWASP top 10 how often does that change yeah that... no I'm, I'm still from the perspective of a compliance officer fictional as trying to make his point if that is static then the threats are static right so therefore that standard from from two years ago can still be the same why do we need to maintain and update that that's all fine. Plus, if you look at the 27,001, there is this this statement that you have to do a risk assessment. Yes, but I don't know. How how often do you see that those risk assessments are, are really leading to, I guess, risk-led security rather than compliance-led security? Are you saying that people take the controls from that standard and put them in a risk assessment template and it becomes a control deficiency assessment? Uh, quite often. I... I couldn't. I certainly couldn't say I've never seen that. Definitely something you come across a lot. I mean, the I think the other thing is because you're actually getting these these compliance frameworks from an external body that maybe weren't actually tailored to to your industry. Even you you see a lot of people using CSF, so they're using the the NIST cyber framework and and you know version one point one of the the NIST CSF, and you get a statement of you know. To better address these risks, blah blah blah, and it's identifying and developing cybersecurity risk frameworks for voluntary use by critical infrastructure owners and operators. How many people using that are not 
critical infrastructure owners and operators. They've explicitly said that's that's their target. Now, I'm not saying it's it's not a good framework. I'm not saying it doesn't broadly apply to a lot of places, but it's not it's not tailored to what they're trying to trying to achieve in their in their corner of the the economy. Well, there's something else that actually comes comes to mind here is the term cuz they say it's critical infrastructure, right? The challenge sits in the definition of what is actually critical infrastructure. Michael Hirschfeld his thesis is about the uh, the critical infrastructure, and there is a challenge in what element actually belongs to that, which industry. Any organization can say, to me, this piece is critical, and therefore it becomes critical infrastructure of company X. Or is critical infrastructure the critical infrastructure of a country? It's a fair point that critical infrastructure is not set in stone, and it, it does change over time. And what is critical now may may actually be very difficult different to what was critical six months ago before we all got into you know lockdown scenarios and absolutely you know video conferencing is critical now right yeah <laughs> <laughs> who would have said that a year ago i mean yeah the the power systems the telecom systems uh, they're all still pretty critical as well because if if the er right emergency rooms of a hospital is is considered to be something critical then the power is critical because we already know that. But then making sure that the people are there. So doctors and nurses need to be able to get to the hospital. So roads become critical infrastructure. Uh, gasoline becomes... And everything that sits behind gasoline, payment, uh, supply, everything becomes critical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There is a you know, a chain there. And uh, it takes me back. I was thinking about the medical device regulations that that came out recently as well and you know they're talking a lot about supply chain and i, I was reading also about you know lenovo uh are starting shipping linux on their their laptops again but they've actually gone to all their vendors and they're you know they're making sure that you can still get get firmware for all those components over time as well so it's it's not just you know the medical device it's what components are in there are they actually being maintained over time? So the whole supply chain, I guess, gets dragged into, could get dragged into that sort of critical infrastructure scenario. And, and therefore, it is perfectly fine to have a standard list of controls and as a governing body and to just send it out on the wire to people and say, people, tick the boxes. You're pushing me hard here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I it's, so gone with the fictional compliance officer here. I absolutely agree with you. It's just it's just BS to come up with such a list and then to say and presume that you're secure, right? Ticking the boxes makes you secure, not at all. And I think it goes further than that because it's you know this external tick the box that doesn't fit your your organization necessarily i think you do get more of a more of a case of well these are arbitrary rules let's find a workaround you know and one of the things that came out of that that design design off session was we ended up and it was quite organically we ended up 
talking a lot about shadow IT. Yes, yes. And I, I think compliance does inadvertently promote that sort of thing because you've got these rules that people don't really try and defend. It's just, well, the standard says we've got to do that. Yeah. And then so, it's, well, how can we how can we get around that? Making me wonder sometimes, why do we have those standards? I think partly, partly it's to protect somebody else. You know, who, who chooses those standards? Why, why are you complying with those standards? And sometimes that's, I need to comply with them based on, as we've said, you know, your license to, to operate in that market. Sometimes it's based on, I need to be able to tick those boxes so I can be on such and such a supplier list. You know, things no, like, it, things like Cyber Essentials actually came about based on providing, you know, minimum standards of cybersecurity for providing, for providing services to the public sector. Uh, it's since been adopted in a lot of other areas, but it was part of a procurement process, really. So it's, have you done your, have you done your basics? Sometimes it's, I think, around... And sometimes this is even a, in a legal sense on compliance, certainly outside of outside of our sphere. It's well, if this all goes pear shaped, I can show I did I I did my due diligence. I've got some sort of defence, be it legally or or um, you know financially that I I I did what I was expected to do. What's you know what the industry expects me to do? And yeah, listen, I agree, but that's actually I'm actually. My question was, even before this happened, somebody asked me to be compliant, so I'm, I'm just making sure that I have my certification. No, no, no. Even before. I mean, the 27,001 is originated from the Orange Book, isn't it? Certainly in part, yeah. To give a sort of a baseline in a period where the risk weren't that diverse, because the interface was pretty simple to the computer. The interface was simpler. You, I, I've already mentioned that I think often the, the threat landscape is evolving faster than the, than the standards are keeping up. Yes. But I think some of, some of these standards have their, you know, their genesis, their origin in a, in a much simpler, less complex world. Yes. You know, we're now in an so, area where you know, you've got standards that are clearly predicated on you know, systems, servers, and, and how many people are doing serverless these days. Right. You know, the, so, the complexity, the interaction of components is vastly different that to, to when these, a lot of these standards were, were first written. And yes, they've evolved, but it, it's, it's hard to see how, how you can keep up on a standards basis. Uh, on a standards basis in the sense of keeping your standard up to date to the current changing threat landscape, you mean? Yeah, keeping your standard up to date. Yeah. I mean... Well, another challenge, of course, we have there is the variety of standards we have there: PCI, DSS, twenty-seven thousand X, HIPAA. HIPAA, of course, is for the the health industry in America. Um, I was actually aiming on the, on the security-specific standards there. We have the the NIST. There's the Cloud Security Alliance, and they all have their own approach to to come up with, what is it, controls for you to implement. And they all say you need to do risk assessment. Sometimes I think, why don't we just merge all of those into one? That one standard that not so much dictates or not so much suggests what kind of controls you should implement, 
but more moves you into creating an architecture and come up with objectives, directions. Yeah, I mean, are, are they really driving you to do a risk assessment and then you know use use that as a central pillar of of your security program, or as you, as you said before, is it more around controls deficiency and you know really assessing your controls effectiveness so it's not really looking at you know what are your threats what are your opportunities it's not looking you at, at engineering your problem certainly not no no um, and the majority of people working in our industry and i'm sorry to say are not engineering problems but are just following a standard and at the same time the majority of people working in our industry are aware that that is not the approach but somehow nothing changes and i think I that's, that's bold I think that's because a lot of people appreciate that they need they need to tick those boxes. There are business drivers that mean they need to tick those boxes. They need to fight the fires that they're currently uh, experiencing. So they they invest more in their in their response capability. It's quite hard then to to step back and and start re-engineering things. And that is because we're firefighting on a daily basis. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, you know, it's easy. It's easy to just say that we should change this and then myself not doing anything. I honestly think we need to change this in the industry. Move away from the tick box approach and start engineering problems to also avoid us from firefighting on a daily basis. I certainly think there's, there's scope to do a lot more analysis of incidents, a lot more root cause analysis. There's a lot of lot of examples yeah, but, you can, but, you can it, see where it, people don't actually go and look at what the real issues are. They they find the you know the first the first weakness and they plug that and then they go back and see where they're going to go from there. But I even I have even seen root cause analysis that said we don't right. So the question is why did this happen right? Uh, this this was the incident. Why did this happen? And so you're trying to come up with the root cause. I've seen implementations or uses I I have seen usage of this approach by limiting the amount by limiting the times you can ask why did this happen. People said five times is enough. So uh, we lost information on the USB stick. Why did this happen? Because somebody cut. Why did this happen? Five times. But what if you didn't find the root cause then? Okay, but five times is enough. I mean, the fact that the fact that you've had the same issue five times should should be a big alarm bell, right? Oh no, no, no. What I meant is um, the question: Why did this happen? So I could, for example, I can ask you. Why were you late this morning? You weren't late, but if you were late at the office, I can ask you: Why are you late to the office? Oh, because the traffic lights weren't helping me. Okay, why did the traffic lights not help you? Oh, because the network wasn't working. Why was the network not working? Oh, because... Right, so trying to come up with the actual root cause of some power station somewhere... Does that make sense? Where was I going? Um, No, <laughs> it's cause and effect. And I have seen those root cause analysis, the process to identify the root cause, where people said there is a limit to... Why did this happen to five times? We don't go further. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you didn't find the root cause, but you've asked five times what was the uh, the cause, what was the effect, caused by, caused by, caused by, caused by. Stop. The more the most the more steps you can do, the better. Um, what often happens you. Though, is, actually... you, is you get one or two, and it's just like, well, ah, right. The the issue happened because we hadn't done X. So let's do X. We hope that'll that'll work. But you see what happens. What happens is you have your 
you have your security team, um, let's say, in, in that regard, that is is compliance-driven. So they're, they're trying to tick those boxes. They're trying to close down those. You may, you may have some compliance on, on, on open issues or something. Uh, so you have to close those things down, and you close those things down, and you 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 play whack a mole, and you you hit that one, and it's all good. But you see, the the problem is that the hackers, the hackers care about security, not compliance, and they'll just adapt. So the you yes. know the regulators are interested in compliance, the hackers are interested in security. Both both of them you have to address as a business. Yeah, I, I agree. As long as those standards are there and used as a as evidence to show that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But I also think that we need to change in our industry to a more risk-based approach, to a more architected, engineered approach towards our problems instead of taking those lists, tick the boxes, not being secure, as has been proven many times before, Maersk, Sony, Garmin maybe... <laughs> I honestly think we need to change into what I said. I mean, yes, you, you've mentioned some some sort of breaches there. You can look at a lot of those, and they were compliant at the time. They were yes. compliant, and they were breached. And they were breached. I guess that compliance may get, may afford them some protection. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that they were breached. It doesn't change the fact that that's going to have a huge impact on their reputation, on their you know customer retention. It may have an impact on sort of sanctions and fines. So in the long run... You can ask yourselves, is it cheaper to make sure that I can tick the boxes and do an additional risk assessment, which is usually just a controlled efficiency checklist again, or, and then being hacked and then pay the fines and lose some money and et cetera, et cetera. Or is it, is it better to not look at those standards and do a thorough risk assessment? I think, as I said, there's there's a lot of cases where you, you need to tick those boxes. Um, so I think what I would probably be looking at is doing those risk assessments doing that uh you know architectural engineered approach to security building your security framework that is aligned to your security requirements and delivers on your your security requirement and then i think with that bespoke model that is actually targeted to your business so hopefully it's you know, it's not too onerous in areas where it doesn't need to be. It, it's it's aligned to what you actually need to achieve. And then taking that and mapping that onto those standards. Now, you may find that there's something in one of those standards, one of those compliance frameworks that you need to tick the boxes that you haven't got. And maybe that's, maybe that's a gap in your model. Maybe it's something you don't think is important. But you should be able to map what you've got to, onto that standard and, and tick those boxes. But you're doing it, you know, you're ticking the boxes based on on what you're doing, based on what fits your business, not trying to model your business on some external standard. Yeah, right. So like, okay, so you were saying indeed, the first do what you need to do, and then you pull in that standard and see what have I done? Great. I am secure and I'm also compliant instead of I am compliant and I don't know if I'm secure. Or, and you know, if you're, you know, fortunate, You'll you'll get a, a decent auditor uh, who who actually can read between the lines and and it isn't you know the 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 case we were talking about that's everything about ticking the box and you can ha- you can say well actually no I don't comply with that but I'm doing this this and this and this is why I'm doing it and have that conversation which kind of brings me back to another point around compliance is how many places have you seen how how often have you seen it where it's just like ah we have a we have our annual audit next week so. 
you need to follow all the rules next week and we need to get all the documentation lined up for the auditor to come and read. Never. It's, it's just like, well... I've never seen that. Have you not... Have you... Do you... Do you <laughs> But 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 that, that that's no, the sort I'm of sorry. audit mom, mentality, isn't it? You're you're compliant on one day of the year. Yeah, I'm sorry. My mom told me never to lie, so I'm sorry, mom. Yes, I've seen this, Martin. I've seen this. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next week there's an audit. Sit straight and uh, yeah. So it's always the um, you know be be extra vigilant on the tailgating, isn't it? That, that's the one for the audit day. Next week there's a there's a team doing social engineering uh, tests. Can you please follow the scripts? And then you can have 51 weeks off. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I'd like to know from other people what their view on this is. I'm not so much on when I'm compliant, I'm not secure. But do we need to change something in compliancy when it comes to the standards themselves? Wouldn't it be nice to have less standards? Wouldn't it be nice to have one standard? And maybe that standard shouldn't have any controls in there, but just directions, objectives. That's an interesting point. I mean, I think just going back to what you're saying, I think people within the industry are more, certainly a lot more often than not, are going to be comfortable with, uh, you know, you can be compliant and not be secure. But we've potentially got listeners coming from more of a business perspective who I think we need to highlight the, the gulf between between compliance and security and that you you can be compliant and, and not secure and security is actually somewhat different to compliance based as i said around whose interest is is the standard the compliance focused on who owns being or not being compliant actually inside the organization right and may, maybe because you said business oriented that's a that's a good one because PCI DSS is usually um, chased up by IT, but it is the CFO or finance department who needs to be PCI DSS compliant. Who needs to be ISO twenty seven thousand one compliant? Not the CISO. No, no. I think they certainly have a a large part to play in that, but it is a business risk that you can't operate in a market or you can't actually sell to you know, certain parts of your market because right. you don't have those badges. Right. Um, yeah. And I think I think that's a topic to come back to another time around who owns those risks and the prevalence I think we see in our industry of, of the security team trying to trying to take ownership of a lot of risks that really aren't theirs. As as you say, in the in this sense the compliance it is a is a security issue. You know, your your business uh, value chains, your revenue stream is potentially dependent on you being compliant. So there's a a security angle there, but that doesn't mean that the, the CISO actually owns that risk. Uh, they're just instrumental in managing that risk. Yes, right person to act. Um, so I think we'll come back to maybe, risk ownership and, and security uh, another time. Maybe it's nice if we invite somebody over to have a chat with us. On this topic, I know somebody who works in uh, uh, very closely to the business, actually, um, Bill Schultz. Okay, yeah. Let's see uh, if he's open to this. Well, you, you, you've broadcast it now. You've well, invited we, him live. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we can, also, we can always cut this. <laughs> in summary, compliance per se is not bad. It's 
looking at what you're complying with and being aware that those standards aren't necessarily written to dovetail to your requirements. There are other stakeholders, other parties involved in those standards and their interests are being considered. In that ilk, it doesn't necessarily provide you with the security you need for your business. Having said that, if you then look at compliance to your own framework, your own policies, your own standards, and measure how compliant you're being with your own policies and standards and framework, then having that box ticking is just part of measuring and adapting and evolving those standards. You've got to be able to measure what you're doing. There's no point in having your bespoke framework and not measuring against it. And that can be a, a continuous measurement, but having those, I guess, kind of audit type approaches is, is still useful as well. Thank you for listening. We hope you found it interesting and useful. I will leave you with Maurice's question there of whether or not we should look to move to a common standard, maybe single standard that is far more based around principles than prescriptive tick box rules, getting you to look at what your risks are, do your risk assessments, and providing higher level guidance around the principles that you should be applying. Please leave us a comment wherever you're listening. Consider subscribing. If you've got a few more minutes, we'd really appreciate a review or a rating. And we'll be back soon. Until then, stay safe out there.